and welcome to The Gray Area, where I give interviews with developers, talk about gaming news, and give you unique insights into the industry. My name is Genesee Gray, and this is the 108th episode in a show called Wild Wild Star Love. Last episode was an interview about my PAX experience, about Dragon Age 3, Phoenix Fire, Source Developers, StarCraft Ghost, and Battle Black Theater. Today is Monday, June 23rd, and we are going to talk to Development Director for Wildstar at Carbine, Matt Makarski, and he was the Creative Director at the time of the creation of Wildstar. We will have a section for Q&A at the end, so save your questions till then so they don't get lost in the stream. And let's start with News of the Week. Matt, what is your News of the Week? Uh, I think the biggest thing is uh, we're having a big Wildstar launch party at the end of the week, and so we're getting all prepped up for that, and I bought a whole new outfit. That, I have seen uh, your I, shoes, and they look pretty good. Oh, yeah. The shoes were, were teased, but uh, I'm definitely going to be decked out in Wildstar colors, so I'm pretty excited about that. Yes. Um, but I don't want to debut the outfit right now. But uh, <laughs> Is it uh, themed? Like, Do you have a theme, or is it just Wildstar themed? It, it's Wildstar themed, um, but uh, yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to give too too much away because nobody on the development team uh, knows what it's going to be. But uh, yeah, we're having a big thing. We're gonna have a mechanical bull there. Whoa! Uh, so yeah, hopefully there's no injuries. Yeah, right. Dev team taking down uh, Wildstar mechanical bull. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, I mean that that's the biggest thing coming up, and um, and then um, yeah, I've just been playing a lot of the game. I mean, I know it might sound weird to people, but uh, but I spend my nights and weekends just playing playing the game. I'm about level. I think I just hit 25, ah, so I got good. And this, you know, it's fun to play the game in the live environment because you can't cheat. You actually have to do stuff, you know, like you would. I'm, I've decided what my housing plot is going to be. I'm gonna I'm gonna try to do the most redneck white trash. Housing plot. I'm an exile, so I got to do that. So, okay. yes, uh, buy dirty mattresses, and, and I think I'm gonna get a uh, cryo chamber chamber uh, full of beer and everything. So, <laughs> I've just really been focusing on that. Uh, I know it's not very exciting, but that's pretty much been my life for the past week. So, are you commissioning this art specifically for your house, or is this part of the game? No, this is part. I mean, it's. You could buy. You could get all this different stuff for the game. You can get just, rundown mattresses and beer, empty beer kegs, because that would be amazing. Yeah, the, like in the game, like I think if you if you type um, bed or mattress or something like that on your housing plot, you could buy a. You could just buy a dirty mattress. Um, so I'm only then, level ten, so I don't have these luxuries. Oh, okay. So, so yeah, like you could buy beer bottles. You could like there, there's hundreds and hundreds of items uh you can't buy them all some of them you have to do challenges to get um so i might have to go back and do all the challenges that i didn't like get a gold in or didn't get the housing items in but uh yeah it, it, it's really pretty amazing because everybody in the office is just playing the game like i bought some of the steam uh sales stuff i bought like um battle block beater actually i bought ah. and uh, um the stanley parable I heard that was really interesting. Um, yeah, and but uh, it, it's funny because everybody's like, I'm buying all these games, but right now we're all just playing Wildstar right now. Um, it's kind of a challenge to keep keep up with the other team members to make sure that you're leveling up on time and 
you know, people talk trash like, oh, I'm level, you know, 40 or whatever. And I'm like, oh, man, I'm only 25. So, but yeah, that's pretty much been my week. Gotcha. Well, that's exciting. Yeah. Now let's start with the past. Uh, gaming as a child. Were you a big gamer as a kid? Yeah. I, I mean, I, and, and I know this is going to sound very cliche because it wasn't like I was born to make games. But I think games were always, like, I think, I, by the way, I was born in, like, the mid-70s, so, you know, showing my age. But, um, like, I think my, I, my first gaming system was a ColecoVision. I don't know why, like, we, my, my, my cousin had an Atari, and I, I think Atari might have been too pricey for my family, and we got a ColecoVision, um, and yeah, I used to play, like, the Smurfs, and there was, like, this Pac-Man ripoff, and, um, like, I, I loved that. I thought it was the most amazing thing in the world, and then I had, like, an Apple IIe, and I remember I had two disk drives, and I remember thinking, oh my god, I don't have to take the floppy disk and, and change them, because I actually have a dual disk drive. And, uh, yeah, I've, I, since then, I've pretty much had every system. Like I, like, I had the NES when it came out, I had Super NES, Genesis, TurboGrafx-16, like, I've pretty much been a gamer my whole entire life, um, you know, and I never really thought of it as a career until much much later in my life but like looking back i remember being in the fourth grade and like drawing with marker these platformer shooter levels like contra and like you know you'd draw like a little power-up icon in the corner and everything and and i never put two and two together but i'm like wow i always it always kind of made sense that i i don't know it Games were born around my generation, and it's kind of our, my, you know, the generation of, or my generation's medium. Like, film was a few, you know, a hundred years ago, right? Um, but, uh, but games really didn't come out to their own until, until my generation. I think, uh, there's something like, I don't know, passionate about that. It's like, yeah, it's ours. Like, before that, you know, no one really did it. So tell me more about the art. You're saying you're drawing levels. Is that the interest, uh, de designing kind of the layout of things? Or what sort of art did you do when you were younger? Um, I did, uh, for some reason, I always, like, I don't, I don't know. My mom recognized that I had a passion for art when I was really little. And so I was always proud, like, when I was in kindergarten, when people said, what do you want to do when you grow up? I was like, I want to be an artist. And I thought it was special because... Everybody was like an astronaut or a fireman or a cop or something like that, right? And I, an artist, no one said artist, so I, I really latched onto that just because I think it was different when I was a kid. Um, but uh, when I got really serious about art was like right before high school. I used to draw a lot, but I got into comic books uh, later in life, like when I was a teenager, and I wanted to be a comic book artist. And I would just sit in my basement and draw all day long. And I, I was like, I'm going to be a comic book guy. Uh, that's what I want to do. And I don't want to go to college and all that stuff. And um, I grew up in the country in the Midwest. And there wasn't a lot of formal training or a lot of programs that you could, you could be a part of. Mm -hmm. um, so it was literally just like copying work out of comic books. And, you know, if you choose the wrong artist to, to mimic, then you get all their, 
you know, bad habits and their lack of anatomy and all that stuff too. Um, so when I, when I graduated high school, I tried to break in and I just have like a stack of rejection letters. Uh, and then I decided to go to art school, but, um, you went to Phoenix, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and at the time I was like, okay, if I'm not going to be a comic book guy, then I want to be a special effects, uh, a CG special effects artist. And cause like Jurassic Park and, and Terminator 2 and all those movies. And I knew that that was the future. And um, there was only a few schools in the country that taught it. And Art Institute was one of them. And um, that's how I got into that. And then I fell in love with animation and tried to be an animator. Um, and then when I graduated, I got into the television animation industry for a while. And I was a storyboard artist. But all my friends, like, got into games. And all my, because, like, at that time, I think like Tomb Raider and Mario 64 had just come out and games were finally making that transi transition to 3D, but nobody really was trained up on it. So all these game companies were buying or were picking up anybody who knew 3D, anybody at all. Like compared to now, now I would have never been able to get in. The competition is stiff. People know what they're doing. Um, back then it was like we didn't. Our school didn't even know how to teach it really. So like we would just go home and figure stuff out and then that would be the next day's lesson, the stuff that we figured out. Okay. Uh, yeah. I mean, it, it's kind of crazy. Floor. Ground floor. Yeah. Man. Cause like all these guys, like we used to, you know, have like a land party at somebody's apartment and we'd figure out like, I think 3D Studio Max had just come out. It wasn't, it, we were one of the first uh, classes to ever use it. And there weren't any manuals or anything at the time because, like, the manuals weren't printed yet because um, we got advanced copies for education. And me and these, like, four guys, we used to sit around and just figure stuff out. And um, and then we'd tell the teacher and the instructor, and they'd be like, oh, my God, we didn't know we could do that. Um, and the funny thing is, like, 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 two of these guys work for Blizzard now. Um, you know, like, like, it's pretty amazing the journey that we've all made and we're all kind of running, you know, different teams and everything. We're all leads and everything. And back then it was just like really kind of low rent way of learning how to do 3D. Wow. Yeah. Well, you've, you mentioned Blizzard and you've worked for a lot of prestigious studios at NCSoft, Orange County, Blizzard, Crystal Dynamics. How did you get into... I guess, into the specific art creative, you know, director, the official title from school? Um, so, like I said, I, got, I, I was a storyboard artist uh, for, for television. And, um, and all my friends were in, in the games industry. In fact, like all my, my friends from school got hired at Crystal Dynamics to work on, on Soul Reaver. And um, I was between jobs and my buddy was like, oh, come I was up in Portland. They were like, come let, move down here. It'd be great having the crew back together. We'll just hang out. And they said, you know, if you can't find work, we'll get you a job. And I was like, well, I haven't done 3D for like three years. And they're like, ah, you're a good artist. Don't worry about it. And um, I, I used to get uh, freelance work in the, in the television industry. And I would just work at the game studio. I would just go to work with my friend and be in a little corner doing my drawings. And then at night, 
I'd hang out with the team and I would like go out drinking or like we'd play games like we play like Quake 3 or Age of Empires. And um, I really just became friends with everybody. And then sure enough, like a few months later, a job position popped up for a texture artist. And um, I tested and I actually slept there, slept at the office all week. It was crazy. Like for my test, I just didn't even go home. I just slept on a beanbag and had a toothbrush. And you can't do this nowadays. But back then, like no one thought anything of it. Um, and uh, did the test and then got hired. And then, so then I, I kind of, my career started in like environment art. I did models and textures uh, for environments. Um, after Crystal Dynamics, I went to Blizzard and I worked on the original WoW and uh, did a lot of the city stuff, did a lot of the dungeons. And, uh, you know, again, that was a, at the time it was a smaller team. So we kind of, you wear a lot of hats, you know, if you could paint armor, you paint armor. If you could do icons, you do icons. And um, I was there for a little over four years and became a senior artist. And um, then I, I went over to Ready at Dawn to work on Daxter because I really needed to change the pace. Like I was just, I needed something different. And uh, a bunch of Blizzard guys had started um, that studio and they asked me to come over and I was like, sure, you know, something fresh, you know, the PSP is a new system. At, at that time, it was like the new hotness, right? Like mm -hmm. everybody wanted to do stuff for that. And it was really fun because it was a small team. We went for, from working you know, at Blizzard, which is hundreds of people to like a 30 man team. And it felt like going home again, you know, it was like kind of just everybody does a little bit of everything, really small team. Everybody's really buddy, buddy. Um, and, you know, we pretty much made that game in like less than six months. And we worked wow. our asses off on it. Had, I mean, they had, they had some of their core tech done and they had their E3 demo done. And then we oh. pretty much like, revamped everything they had one level done for e3 and then within six months we just built the whole game and it was great i mean it was i've never worked harder in my life but it was fantastic like i that team was so much fun and then um a few of the people i knew from blizzard had started carbine and uh they just called me up one day and they were like hey you want to have lunch you know and uh i was like sure and i came over and had lunch and they showed me like all their concept art and and ever and uh some of their early engine stuff and and they were like so do you want to come on board as a lead and i was like huh? i was like i don't know and then i went home and i couldn't get the artwork out of my head and i was like that is this is definitely something that i would regret if i didn't work on and uh that's how i got in and then so i came in as a lead and then slowly worked my way up um, um uh, we had to replace the original art director, and then they offered that to me. Um, and then from there, I was art director for, for quite a while, probably, I mean, until the end of the project, I was the art director. But about, I want to say, four years ago, um, I started doing creative direction. And actually, I was the creative director on the original Blur trailer, um, the, the CG trailer. Mm -hmm. And, like, I... I co-wrote the script and I started doing a lot of, a lot of co-direction with Blur on it and, um, you know, doing voice act, voice direction and everything to get the tone right. And when we had that trailer, 
all of a sudden we knew that that was the tone of the game. Like we had a lot of art and we had a lot of stories and everything, but the tone wasn't quite there yet. And um, after that, I kind of started doing more creative direction across the whole company outside of the art department. Gotcha. Now you're development director. What is yeah. a development director? Can you define that for me? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, it, it, it's kind of weird because uh, um, I think it has different titles at different companies, but essentially I'm in charge of all development. Um, I was in charge of just the art department, and um, now I'm in charge of the design department, the art department, the audio department, and the engineers. So anything having to do with the game, um, I I make sure everything's scheduled out. I so work you're like with, a producer uh, on steroids. I'm like, a, yeah, kind of like half producer, half half product director like we have a product director mike donatelli and me and mike we uh we sit together and we literally will map out like the next year you know on paper of what we want to do and then we work with chad the creative the new creative director and we'll talk about the stories we'll talk about the content um you know and we're all kind of a i mean we don't have a we don't have a environment here where it's just like one guy making all the calls. So we can kind of just all get together and talk, and we're like, okay, I'll do this, you do that, um, and we collaborate. And so it my although technically I'm I'm partly production, even though none of the producers report to me. That's a whole different department. Um, I more work with all the directors to make sure that they could get stuff done. So Mike. We might say, okay, we want to do this thing for housing, and then and Mike and Mike the product director will be like, okay, I want it to be like this, or uh, here's the general philosophy behind it, and then we'll. It's my job to sit with the all the other directors, scope it out, make sure we have the resources, figure out how long it's going to take, or when we want to release it in post launch, and um, and then make sure that everybody has signed off on it that we play it like i'll i play the game more now than i've ever did as the creative or art director like i'll sit down in every single play test whether it's a pvp map or you know um some post-launch zone or or a dungeon or adventure i'm actually playing the game giving feedback to all the directors so um so that's a little bit different in that that I did play the game, but I played it more for the art and the creative direction, and now I have to pay attention to everything. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it's just kind of like steering this giant ship, or more like a giant fleet yeah. of ships, <laughs> and uh, making sure we're going in the right direction. My goodness, I can't imagine. That would be so much coordination. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty intimidating. Like, I think I have around 200 people under me. So, um, yeah, that's pretty, it's pretty intimidating. And plus for me, uh, it's just a learning experience. Like, um, I've been pretty in tune with, with the art and the design to some degree of the game and a lot of the audio too, because I worked very closely with the actors and with our composer when I was creative director. Mm -hmm. Um, but on the engineering side of it, it's like a whole other world. It's like, you know, I, it's just something I've, I've known about, but I've never had a lot of exposure to. Um, and just 
kind of learning the lingo and understanding all the different roles and everything um, beyond just the title. Um, yeah, it's been it's been quite a learning experience. I, I just see it as the next phase of. I, I always consider myself a game developer because I think if you're if you say, "Hey, I'm an art director," well, you're a game art director. You, art direction for games is much different than film or for you know uh, publishing or anything like that. And I think that um, if you don't understand game design and you're an art director on the game, then you're not going to be a very effective art director. So I feel like this is kind of just like a natural progression for me. Becoming development director is just understanding the game development process and, and um, more than I, I was as a art director or creative director. It seems like you would have to have a, a really refined vision of you know the core of the game and what it is. How would you define Wildstar for people that haven't played? Wildstar for people, I, I mean, I think it, it's the funnest time you're going to have in an MMO. I think that we have so many things for so many different players that um, if you enjoy any aspect of MMOs, you will you will have fun with Wildstar. Um, you know, housing is amazing. Uh, our dungeons and PvP are for more advanced players, so if you enjoy that type of thing, to me it's the next level. Um, I think we're a game that just isn't afraid to have fun. And and if there's something I've seen with the players and the, and the reviews and everything, it's that we are we are we have a lot of humor, we have a lot of personality in the game, and it's and you don't see a lot of that in MMOs. And so if you like just kind of being in an enjoyable environment and an enjoyable setting and just having fun, like I said, like I decided the other day, you know, redneck, white trash, housing plot is my going to be my thing. And the funny thing is I'm going to make an alt that is going to be, you know, a medic or a doctor, and I'm going to make it like a science lab, and I get to make those creative choices. And to me, that's fun. I get, I get to be what I want to be, and there's a lot of ways in which I can just express myself as a player. But, um, but also, it's just fun, you know, running around and fighting. Our combat is super action-packed. Um, so I think that, you know, you don't realize that you're killing a lot of enemies because you're just having fun with it. You're dodging out of the way and you're reacting. And I think it's much different. I've played a lot of MMOs, and MMOs have that addictive nature, and our game's no different. But I think that we mask that kind of repetitiveness with just fun mechanics and fun gameplay. Gotcha. It's something I play as much as I love story, and I'll probably go back and restart all my characters so I can read every little thing. I just play it when I'm stressed, and I just want to kill things really quickly. And it's just <laughs> fun to run through. It's it's rainbow of colors, just slashing things left and right. I think I think with the story, and 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 Chad Moore would be would be uh, furious with me if I didn't pimp the story a little bit. But uh, I think the cool thing about the story is a lot of people they don't come into the game for the story, but when they actually discover and experience it, they're like, oh wow, I've never expected that. Like I look at a lot of our Twitter feed and everything, and people are always talking about the story and how they were surprised that we had something so dramatic in the game. Um, and I think there's a lot of, like, yeah, like 
we have we have such a variety. We have the you know the lot that may or may not have accidentally uh, murdered. Um, Don't some, spoil it. Don't spoil it for me, Matt. It. I said may or may not. It, it's a setup, right? At the same time, we have a overarching story about like the universe, you know, under threat, and you have to help save it. And um, so we're not just always one thing at one time. We're we're different things all over the place, and that's one of the great things about having a new IP that we could just literally just open up the floodgates of ideas and really just run with them all. You've talked before in interviews about the art being influenced uh, by iconic and recognizable things like American European comics, American Japanese animation, things like that. But what are your specific favorites in that genre and why? Um, my, my favorites, I mean, it, it's tough, like, uh, it, because I think that what people want, they want to they want to look at something and then see how it looks similar to other things. I think um, my biggest influences are like uh, like Tank Girl, like uh, um, and the Gorillas, um, and um, you know, like I think I am most me personally. I think I'm most influenced by. Uh, Animated shows of the 80s, stuff like um, Robotech and Transformers and G.I. Joe, um, Thundercats, you know. Silverhawks. Um, yeah, yeah. Human or, or, you know, uh, Mighty Orbots, if you're, if you're getting more obscure. Um, all that stuff just, I don't know, like I was a child of the 80s, so like it was like you watch the cartoon, you buy the toys, you sit there with a the giant bowl of cereal. And, you know, pretty much a, a, a modern day parent's nightmare for their kid, just sitting in front of the TV. <laughs> Face full of sugar. Reading comics, asking for toys, all that stuff, right? And it was a whole package for me. I, you know, I love having the curtains that, that were, you know, Star Wars curtains and everything. Um, but, uh, yeah, like, they, you know, they learned how to sell, like, merchandising to, to kids like me. Um, and I always kind of saw Wildstar as that. Like, I, I love, like, I, I would, we'd create characters and I'd be like, oh man, I want the toy or, you know, like, I want that spaceship. Um, uh, and, uh, or I want the t shirt. And um, to me, that style wise, that's what I like. I always refer back to G.I. Joe because I love something about G.I. Joe is that, like, every character had their signature, right? So, like, you know, they had hundreds of figures, but iconically, each character had their own look, had their own own theme. And I think that's a lot of what we we kept going back to with the game is like, okay, you know, when we have our iconic characters, what is that thing you remember about the character? Do they have a signature visual on them? Um, you know, and we made sure that everything had that. And, um, you know, whether we had like, okay, the Dominion have a tank and the Exiles have a tank and, you know, like, so they're, they're kind of equal, but, but, but different. Um, I think that stuff harkens back to, you know, GI Joe for me. Um, and, uh, but comic book wise, like, I think when you look at the work of like Joe Matt, um, you know, like, believe it or not, Mike Mignola is like a big influence on us. And just in terms of kind of like, having this kind of really retro tech 
type stuff in his, in his uh, comic books, um, kind of like this handmade stuff. Uh, we didn't look at that exactly, but we all love Magnolia, and, and, and obviously that's going to come into things. Uh, in terms of anime, all I can say is we were all watching Full Metal Alchemist, you know, at a very critical time when we were creating the game. We were watching, um, and then it turned into Gurren Lagann, and, and um, you know, we just, I don't know, I think as artists, you're just a big sponge, and you just, you just constantly absorbing all these this information, and you're not really saying, oh, let's take that and put it in here, let's take that piece and put it in here. It just all kind of comes in together inside of you, and then when you're just putting ideas on paper, you don't realize you might be pulling from from things that have influenced you for the past, you know, 20, 30 years. Gotcha. One of the questions I did have uh, further down was that it seems like you have mirrors on the Exiles and the Dominion side, example like the Chua and the Arin, kind of both cute, and Granak and Draken. Is this intentional to have, you know, kind of similarities as far as maybe appearance or, you know, badassery um, on the yeah, Exiles and Dominions? I mean, le less appearance, but definitely in terms of, uh, like, tone. Mm -hmm. um, we What we said was we, we, we kind of looked at you know gamers as like okay well what does what what do gamers want like some people they want to be the badass guy some people want to be the macho guy uh some people want to be the cute you know guy and so we looked at all that stuff and we tried to break it down into okay who would you know what subset of our audience would need would want something they'd want to play and all we did was we went around the team and said, you know, who would you want to play or what what don't we have that you're looking for? And, you know, like, when we looked at the Exiles, the original three were Granok, Orin, and Human, and we're like, but there's nothing dark. You know, there's nothing dark about this. And that's why we added the Mordash. The Mordash was like the final piece. And on the opposite end, it was on Dominion. It was the you know the Makari, the Draken, and the and again the human. And we're like, we don't really have anything you know cute, but it's cute for the Dominion. I mean, the the two are kind of like a holes, you know, like they're cute in appearance, but they have this different attitude that fits the Dominion. And we we definitely looked at that because I think you know when we when we were you know working on WoW um, when we launched. Um, the original thing was that uh, a lot of people just played Alliance because they had good-looking or appealing, you know, uh, characters. And that's why they decided to go with Blood Elf for the first expansion, because they wanted something on the Horde that was, um, that was a little bit more pretty or appealing, right? And for us, that was our first decision we made when we decided to do two factions, was to do humans on both sides because you there there are certain uh subsets of players that will only play human because they only relate to human and we're like okay we don't want to you know off, have the balance beyond the good guys or the bad guys or whatever because they both because only one of them has human um so that was like our first choice when we did that but yeah all those choices they're they we made those choices for a reason. It wasn't just, you know, happenstance or, hey, we lucked out or anything like that. 
I'd almost be interested in the ratio of women to men on your teams because I haven't seen a game before that kind of capitalizes on cuteness and yet is supposed to be, it's almost like Borderlands crashed into the Powerpuff Girls. <laughs> right. you know? Like there's this strange like sheep and bunny obsession, but yet they're yeah. really sassy. Yeah. It's, it's kind of a, a, I guess it would encompass like both genders for me, like as far as what would be appealing. Um, I think now we have we have a pretty good percentage of, of females on the team. I, I, I want to say probably between probably around 20-25% of our design and art team are female. Um, but the funny thing is, at the time we made those choices, I think we were predominantly male. Um, like, and I don't know, maybe it's just, again, like we just like the cute stuff. Um, mm -hmm. Like the brony thing uh, didn't come into play until a few years later. Yeah. But, uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, like, I, you know, I love the Powerpuff Girls. Like, I think, I, I mean, you know, uh, uh, Gendi Tartakovsky is, I mean, Samurai Jacket is one of the all time greatest cartoons, right? Um, but um, I don't know. Like, I, I, I think we just, again, we just looked at it and we were like, I don't know, something that was appealing about it, or maybe there wasn't a lot, again, there's not a lot of it in in uh, the MMO space, and we just saw an opportunity where we were like, hey, we could really have kind of this anime influence. I think a lot of us were also watching Teen Titans. <laughs> and, and Teen, Teen Titans, Titans. They had that, yes. had that um, point where they would go, they'd go full anime, and uh, we really liked that, and that kind of just started working its way into the Orin was more of these, uh, you know, anime cliches and, and uh, you know, our concept art would have like little hearts that were broken over their head or like a, a thought balloon with a fish in it or something like that. And it really kind of had this, this, you know, fun, cutesy vibe to it. But we also thought it would be cool if like the cutesy stuff were, you know, also tough. Like, like we described the orange, like at first, like people were like, you know, Oh, I would, why would the Aura never be violent or anything? And, you know, why would they fight? And, you know, we said, well, you know, if you take the, or if you, if you threaten like the teddy bear of, of someone, then they turn on you. Um, and, and that kind of really said, okay, yeah, we could, we could work with that, you know? Um, and then the Oren males were definitely, uh, from a personality standpoint, we looked at Naruto. And we were like, yeah, basically that is that, that, you know, kind of cocky, you know, um, super positive attitude type thing that where, where you might be a little bit annoyed with it. Um, I think that was always the thing, right? Like we, we, we talked about this we're, and some people are like, I hate the orange, right? And we're like, well, who do you like? And they're like, I love the Draken. We're like, good, because if you're a Draken, if you play as a Draken, you should hate the Orc. You should want to kill them. Creating, we, we, we decided that we wanted to make a community of people that loved and hate things. If you, if you hate the Chula or if you hate the Makari, then you'll love killing them, right? And I think that's a really important thing to have in a game, especially a social game where you're trying to create these factions and you're trying to create um, you know, open world PvP, and um, and have the community just taken the run with it. Whereas if everything was kind of vanilla, and just like oh, I like it, fine. You know, if you don't love it or hate it, you kind of have to have that polarizing uh, factor in your game. Gotcha.
Um, the strain coming out soon. Were you thinking of the look of that and trying to make it you know, separate than the main game? Is there something that's inspiring you to kind of create the artistic direction that way? Um, I think what we wanted was, uh, again, like we, I think we wanted to make sure that um, when, when we, the strain is one of the main villains of our game or one of the main factions of our game that's a villain, right? And when we designed it, we're like, okay, what's this going to be? And I think it, it, it started uh, early on, a long time ago. Uh, it was a little more demonic. And we we didn't want to go demonic with it because we're like, hey, we really want to have that sci-fi vibe uh, to it. And what we, what we kind of took was a mixture of, like, aliens and the thing, like John Carpenter's The Thing. Mm -hmm. And and wanted to kind of run it through this wild star filter and see the craziness that kind of comes out the other end. And I think that um, you know, like we wanted it to, to feel like a viral type thing that people could catch and and um, that you know could infect the planet and and all that stuff. And I think when we mixed all that stuff together, um, that that's just kind of what came out. We knew we wanted to still be colorful and everything, but when people are dealing with the strain in the game, it's definitely tonally different. It's not fun. I know that the strain trailer is funny, um, but um, it's actually not funny in the game. Like, it is serious. Like, when you are dealing with the strain, you know, um, lives are in danger, and, and it's not something we generally joke around with in, inside the game. And we just wanted to have that, you know, before this, we had a lot of um, different uh, world groups and factions that you could kind of relate to, that you understood their story, but we wanted one that was just like a pure force of destruction that is a threat to everybody, you know, that it's not just like, oh, I could team up with this, or I could reason with this, uh, these types of uh, groups. It is just like, no, they will, they will take over and they will destroy you. I think that's really where it came from. From a visual standpoint, though, we just wanted something very different. Um, we didn't have anything like that in the game. It's kind of like this bio-organic alien virus. Uh, so there's lots of pustules and eyeballs, and, and you know, like, like it just kind of it kind of made sense because we just looked at the rest of the game and we're like, what's missing? And, and that's what came out. Gotcha. Uh, you've recently announced Guild Player Housing, and not saying when other than you know post-launch development, things like that. Now you're dealing with a really large group structure. Does that affect how you think about you know the building or the design, which is like the small single-person house? Like, what kind of difference is there when you're dealing with multiple people in a in a space? I mean, I think you, I think just everything has to be built for groups, right? And it, I, I think when you look at when you when you look at our leveling content, or you know, um, or like the open world where you're doing a quest, versus you know dungeon content or or group content, you just have to completely design it differently. Uh, spatial space change. You have to understand that hey, there's going to be twenty people, or there's going to be you know five people, or you know forty people in the space, um, and you really can't just say oh this works for everybody because um you know like some of our pvp maps they're like 10v10 versus an arena that could be 2v2 um 
So I think when you look at that, you look at housing, you need to understand this is no longer one person running around on this map. Um, you have to assume that there's going to be, you know, a large group of people here. And, and that affects everything because you have to do everything on a bigger scale. Um, that's from a visual standpoint. From, you know, a design standpoint, it's just all about everything needs to be social or group-oriented, right? Like, there shouldn't be a lot of stuff that, that you could do as an individual that doesn't have a benefit for a group. Um, so I think that's just, you know, like, I think that's one of the tougher things for an MMO is you have a, you have a lot of solo players and you design a portion of the game for them. And then you, you want, you want people to group you, you want everybody to group, you want everybody to be in a guild, but you don't want to force it. So you try to encourage it. But I think that, you know, when you dub something like guild housing, that, that there's going to be an assumption that you have to be in a guild. You're going to have to participate as a group. And if you don't participate as a group, you're probably not going to, you know, enjoy guild housing because, because otherwise it's just solo housing, which we already have. Right. Makes sense. Uh, what are your thoughts on subscriptions versus free to play, which is always a hot button topic? Um, well, uh, I'm going to be biased on this. Uh, for me, I, I like the sub stuff because I think you pay for what you get. You know, like I, I, I pay for, you know, like I sub to Netflix, I sub to Amazon, uh, you know, I, I sub to, to lots of different things in my life. The cell phone bill, I like, I like the, the cell phone plan where it's like I get unlimited everything and that way I don't have to worry about it, right? Because I have friends that are always like, ah, oh, I can't look that up on Google right now because I've used all my data and I'll get charged. Um, so I kind of like the, like, I don't have to think about it. And um, from a developer standpoint, I don't like to feel like I'm nickeling and diming players for every little thing, right? If we make a cool outfit, we know that 100% of our subscribing players are going to get that, right? And and that that's an interesting way to design. So, like, you know that everybody's going to have access to the, this level or this dungeon or this housing decor. Or this, or this, um, or this outfit, or something like that. And I think that gives you that's a benefit as a developer in that you can just make certain assumptions that people have access to these things and they can get these things. Whereas if you if you if you monetize every little thing in your game, you're really going to divide up your player base into people that have everything and people that that don't. And um, I don't play a lot of free-to-play games, but I, I just don't like the, oh, I can't team up with this guy because... I, I Actually, but I'll, I'll take this back. My nephew plays uh, Wizardry 101, I think it is. Okay. And he, and he wanted me to play. And, and um, I'm like, cool, I'll play because it's a free-to-play game. And I started playing with him, and my nephew actually paid, or my my sister actually paid money for my nephew to be in a higher level or in a different zone or something like that. And he's like, Uncle Matt, will you play play here? And I'm like, no, I have to pay for that, right? <laughs> he's like, he's like, yeah. And I was like, well, I'm not going to put enough time into this game where it's worth for me to, to pay a one-time fee just so I could play with him. And it kind of made me sad that 
I had to make a decision about whether I'm going to pay for that particular area to be with, you know, someone I wanted to play with. I think that for our game, because it's a one-time fee and you get everything, um, that, you know, it, it is more social. You know that everybody's opt-in, everybody's equal at that level. There's no, there's no like, oh, this player base has access to this and this player base doesn't. Um, and I think it, it allows you to just design a, a more uh, cohesive game experience. Gotcha. Chat, we're going to take a couple questions soon. So if you have anything you would like to ask, now's the time to begin to type it into chat. We'll see if you guys do. Uh, last couple questions in the meantime. <laughs> Worst and best design moment of your career? Ooh. Worst and best. Um... I would say the best, I think, is is actually when we decided to do housing in Wildstar. Like literally, everything about it felt right. Like, and I think that it's it's a rare occasion where that where where you you look at something and you're like, there's no reason not to do this. Um, you know, usually there's a lot of pros and cons and everything, and I think that. You know, we looked at what we could do with our engine. We looked at at other games out there, and we felt like we could really knock it out of the park. And and I feel like that was like one of the the, the smoothest, easiest, funnest uh, design things we we I've ever done in my career. Um, trying well, to the worst, of, you know, you want to tell me the worst. Um, I would say I would say the worst is for a while, early, very early on, and again, this is all wild star, so I apologize. Uh, but I would say the worst is it's the worst that didn't go into the game, or is it the worst? Are they asking for the worst that went into a game, or worst? The worst, that your personal worst, the thing that made you the most upset, wherever it occurred. Okay, I think yeah, when we initially started making the game, um, early versions of combat was just boring MMO combat. And and there was there was a thought that if combat was too actiony or too difficult, too responsive, that um, it might uh, uh, not draw the MMO crowd. And um, I think when I was hired, we talked about having action combat, and I think we drifted away from it for a while. And I think that that really bummed me out. That was like I was like, well, I can make the game look really beautiful, and and you know go at it from that angle, but I think as a developer, I was really disappointed. Which then, when we decided to go against that, put in more action and combat, it was like one of the best days. When I'm doing the practice battlegrounds, it's just like a light show of 4th of July. Everyone's leaping into the air. Things yeah. are exploding on the ground. I'm just like, what is happening? I'm just hit spamming every button that I have. It's kind of amazing. It is, uh, yeah, it's, a, it's, it's sensory overload. Uh, in some of the PvP battles. Nice. All right, are there any hidden Easter eggs in any games you've done? Oh, but just about every. every. In Wildstar or anything? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, come on. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I mean the, probably the biggest one, which people have figured out, is that uh, the Roused Hour 
is named after a very obscure uh, character in, in, in uh, uh, old school sci-fi movie. Um, it, it's impossible to stop. Like, like there are things where, uh, like, like I, I I saw somebody tweet or on on uh, Tumblr that we do have a doctor. I, I'll admit I've never watched Doctor Who. I need to get on the bandwagon. I know, but uh, but yeah, like I know we have a Doctor Who reference in one of our items uh, with the the fish sticks and pudding, which I have no idea what that means. But I'm sure I'm sure you you Whovians or whatever you're called uh, uh, know what I'm talking about. So like for an MMO, it's very easy. Like I think in WoW, um, we put uh, the Terminator Two claw in, or hand in like a glass jar and one of the things we put um we might have taken this out but uh, because it's been a while um i think it was in anixia's lair mm-hmm. he's like on the side of the wall um there used to be like these lava flows on the side of the wall and we put like the shadow of the glaive from the movie crawl i don't know if you remember yeah crawl. um yeah, because like the glaive was in lava and it was like kind of the shadowy thing, and we actually put it in, and you could just maneuver your camera to look into it. So I don't know if it's still in there, but uh, originally it was definitely in there. Um, uh, and this is actually funny. This is a funny story uh, with Daxter. Um, in Jack and Daxter, they actually had their own alphabet. There's like this Jack and Daxter alphabet that they used, and we were doing. I think it was a subway system and i did all this graffiti like with all these messages in it and sony actually translated it all and had me rip it all out because it wasn't like approved um yeah like like like, like, and it was nothing bad it was nothing bad at all it was just kind of like this funny little thing with developer stuff and yeah we had to I had to change it to be approved stuff that we could put on the wall. Um, so, so yeah, sometimes, sometimes you never know when you're going to get caught. <laughs> All right, questions from the chat. Zetalux asks, "What is your favorite area of the game, and why?" Oh, favorite area. Um, <clears throat> I think, I think, I know this sounds weird again because it's a lower level zone, but I love Alderock, and I think that. I think that the reason I love Alderock is because that's what defined the style of the game. Before before Alderock, the game the game went through two iterate or three iterations of art style. And for the third iteration, we were like, let's do it the way we really want to do this. And we put together a proof of concept. And the proof of concept was Alderock. With the the orange mountains and the and the grass, kind of like this, you know, snow capped mountains and blue sky and, and green grass and everything, and it kind of it was it had this westerny type vibe with the buildings and everything, and uh, I fell in love with that. And to me, like I, like I just played through it again, and and I just love being in Outer Rock. Um, it's like the place where I would live in the game. Um, so from, from, from that standpoint, that, that, I think that's my favorite place, but, um, I'm also a sucker for snow. I love usually any, in any game 
when it is the snowy level or the frozen level or anything like that. So, so I don't know why, but I just love that feeling of being in snow. Um, and uh, so I think like White Veil, you know, being in White Veil, it just feels different. I love being in snow and frolicking on my hoverboard. <laughs> cool. I have to say, if I'm going to WoW, I would say Teldrassil is the thing, like, in all games that just sticks with me, like, it's just beautiful. And it's music, too. It's part of the music. And I think Wildstar has really good music as well. It's It kind of impresses you. Yeah, Kurt Knacker. Like, that guy's a genius. Absolutely. Next question. What is your biggest challenge since release? Oh, wow. There, there's a, been a bunch of them. Uh, I think, like, one of the... One of the biggest challenges we're having right now is with bottom, and um, and we are—it's our number one thing we're talking about and that we're we're addressing. And uh, you know, we 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 started banning people, or we started uh, putting together ways of identifying botters and trying to prevent them um, from uh, um, har harvesting the nodes and getting into PvP and all that stuff. And right now, that is the number one challenge. I think that that um, some of the other things that popped up since launch were like you know certain exploits on items that could be sold for more money than we that we knew. Like there's so many things in the game, and and you know we went through a long QA process, and we were in beta for a long time, and then we we're in open beta. And it's pretty incredible the 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 things that when you have, you know, hundreds of thousands of people playing the game consistently, um, the things that pop up and the way people exploit the game in ways that you never even imagined. Uh, I mean, literally, you know, daily something new pops up and we're just like, why wasn't this caught? We don't, you know, like, like it's just because people are beating on it in a different way. Um, but yeah, definitely right now that that's our biggest concern. And, um, you know, like we are, like I had like two meetings today just talking about this thing, and and uh, we we have like a ton of engineers working on it. We have a ton of CS people working on it, um, and we just are afraid that it's going to ruin the player's experience because everybody has fun, but you know, there's a group of people out there that they like to ruin it for everybody else, and, and that's the unfortunate part about uh, having an MMO is you have to you have to be you know on the spot with identifying those people and making sure they're not ruining other people's experience. Picarus Lowell says, how would someone get into game development without a computer science or art degree? Um, I don't think you need a degree at all. I know, I know like all the, all the schools out there, uh, are probably going to be in shock, like, or hate me for saying this. Uh, I think in today's day and age, all the information you need is available to you. The question is, are you motivated enough to do it? And I think that's where the schools really come into play, is that you're surrounded by people that, you know, are your peers, are your competition, and that kind of keeps you going. And some people that aren't in that classroom environment don't have the, 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 the motivation to sit at home and do this stuff. I mean, most degrees nowadays cost, like, between, like, you know, 75, 100K. If you were to invest a quarter of that in the right hardware, the right videos, 
you know, go on the CG forums, all that type of stuff, buy or license or buy an engine and just, you know, um, mod an engine or something like that, like put together your own little game, your design doc. You don't need to go to school. You just need a ton of passion. And, and you really just need focus, right, in order to do it. Um, it, it it's super interesting. And, I, and, you know, I don't think that's only for games. I know there's careers out there that require degrees. Gaming was definitely not one of them. Um, but I, got, I, I told you guys I wanted to be a comic book artist. And uh, when I was at the tail end of World of Warcraft, I decided, you know what? I'm just going to do my own comic. I'm just going to write and draw my own comic. I've never done it before. I'm just going to do it. And what I did was, like, I literally, like, put together a production schedule for myself. Like, every night I knew what I had to complete. I had to get a paging, or I had to get this story written, or, you know, get the dialogue balloons on these pages. And I spent about three months of all my free time outside of work put it together, and then I just submitted it to publishers, and I actually got picked up by a super independent publisher and got published, and then I'd go to shows and do signings, and every, all these wannabe, or all these uh, aspiring comic book artists would come up to me and be like, how'd you get published? And I was just like, I don't know, I just put together a book and did it, you know? And, and they're like, wow, that's crazy that you're lucky. And I'm like, it didn't, I, I don't know, for me, it didn't seem like luck. It just seemed like I did it. And that's what I, that's how it happened. Um, I didn't try to, you know, work my way in any other way. I think the games industry is the same way. If you're, if you're an artist, all we do is we look at your portfolio. And if your portfolio is good, you'll get a test. And the best way for your portfolio to get good is to get feedback, submit it to like, CG Hub, you know, DeviantArt, you know, wherever you could get professional feedback, you know, or, or peer feedback, it's on there. And people will tear you up to pieces on, on, on those forums. And you have to be able to take that and turn it into constructive feedback. Um, but yeah, I just really don't think, I, I, all you need is passion and drive to make games and uh, just start doing it. Uh, that's my best advice. DevQTS, is there any timeline for further optimization? There hasn't been any news on this in a while. Yeah, we have we have people on optimization full time now, um, so we are constantly looking into optimization. Um, you know, um, ever ever since uh, closed beta, I think for the past six months, we've had people on optimization. Um, we're looking to staff up. We're working with people like Nvidia and AMD. Um, to make sure that their cards are working uh, properly and that they're they're putting together drivers uh, to help out. But yeah, it is one it, it's one of our largest concerns, and we're going to keep optimizing the game as uh, time goes on. It, it's something that's never going to stop. Okay, last two questions, guys. Uh, AKA Corrupted asks, "What's your favorite class?" Um. Well, I'm playing a spell slinger right now. And I think that's because I, I was intimidated by it because uh, our class guys told told me, like, hey, you have to be really, really good. It's one of our more difficult classes. Uh, I like it because there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of damage, but, but mostly the CC, jumping around, teleporting, 
all that type of stuff just adds a whole nother level of movement. Um, but in terms of visually, I actually love the medic. Uh, the medic's my favorite, just all the visual effects and the sound effects and then uh, some of the higher level raid armor. Uh, the medic is definitely my favorite. So I'm actually going to, my first alt is going to be a Chua medic, I think. All right, rabbit.com asks, I have a costume that I love, but it was a beta reward. I can only use it in one set. Has there been any thought of selecting costume pieces from maybe a pool die menu so you could use the same piece multiple times with multiple dies? Um, let me, let me uh, hear that question again. It, it's, you got the costume set. I'm guessing it's the, um, the Highwayman outfit. He doesn't say, but he okay. said he can only use it for one set. He's got one set, and it's in one of his costume slots, and they 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 want to be able to duplicate that set in order to be able to tie it a different color so they can have two of the same costume sets that they only got in beta, but it looks different. For Perhaps. <laughs> Let's go with that. He's not clarifying okay. it. Um, you know, that's the first time we've been asked that. I don't think we... I'll, I'll have to ask our uh, items guys if that's possible. Um, we, we, we're talking about um, doing some changes to the way costumes work. Um, can't really go too deep into it, but... Um, he says gray but, for DPS, white for tanking. He wants to color coordinate it to his... <laughs> uh, okay. You know what? I, I will promise you that I'm going to go talk to the guys right after this and see if that's an option because... I do know that that set was, you know, exclusive to beta. And I don't think we ever thought about people that want to have two different colors of that, that set. So actually that set is uh, product director Mike Donatelli. That's his favorite outfit in the game. Um, and so I'll ask him about that because he might have the same uh, desire as you. Cool. Yeah. Tweet it at me. I'd love to uh, share it with Rabbit. Okay. All right. So, well, thank you so much for being on, Matt, and being generous with your time. Uh, I just, you can find him at Matt, <laughs> just the same as his name. Yeah, I, I make all my, I make all my, 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 my Twitter and my Facebook. Everything is just Matt McCarsky. That way, it's super easy. People don't have to remember anything weird. Um, yeah, hit me up if you have any questions. And you could find, obviously, at Wildstar or wildstar.com. And you can find me at Gray Area Podcast or Genesee. Until next time, guys, thanks for being great in chat. And I'll see you next stream.